Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We're your hosts, David O. And Eric V. Today we are joined uh, by our special guest, Mark. How are you doing today? Very good. Thank you, guys. Good, man. Uh, Where are you from, Mark? I'm from a town called Plettenberg Bay, um, just on the outside of Cape Town in South Africa. Nice. Cool. All right. And... uh, when did you first start studying uh, addictions therapy? Well, we were just going through it uh, a little earlier. I was saying, you know, I started in uh, way back in 1997. And, you know, it was interesting enough um, when uh, they were guiding me through the, you know, what to study, what to do, what to focus on. They said, look, do whatever you like. Just, just don't do anything to do with addiction. You know, because it's it's not rewarding and it's it's one of the most difficult. So, um, you know, of course, I did go that route. That's the personality, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's just been just been unfolding. It's been a beautiful, beautiful um, experience being part of so many recovery stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I suppose I look from the other side, which is quite unique. Yeah, and um, and and it's worked. So that's also pretty decent. Yeah, so, absolutely. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, 22 but years. It worked, and it's great. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, with all that out of the way, I'm going to turn it over to you to uh, share your experience with us. So take it away. Okay, thank you. So, yeah, I think just maybe can I start with the mission, sort of why why I'm here, is really to to start spreading awareness. You know, we we're in... Um, in Africa and uh, we get clients from all over the world so uh, you know mostly from I'd say the United Kingdom and Europe mm-hmm. um, but all over the world really and of course the US um, you know our rand is so um, attractive um, so the, the rehab centers here there are many um, in the country are, are full of, of people from all over the world, and it was filled, of course, with people from Holland, nice. uh, which has now changed. They changed their licensing. So, yeah, it's been an unfolding uh, industry, and, um, you know, even though we're behind, it's still exploding. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I was Probably like, I don't like, know if that's a good yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it's it's we've just got a you know a local um, a local problem where or, or third world perhaps problem where you know I think it's about ninety six ninety seven percent of people um, won't go into or look at going into a rehab program when they should a recovery program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think not only the stigma. I think that's that's always been, but it's more of. Uh, you know, it's it's just too much of a um, of a switchover. People tend to deny it for another five or ten years before they can tolerate, you know, what they think is a label of addiction. And uh, yeah, it's a big problem. So so we've created awareness on that front, and then we are also um, now starting to move beyond the twelve steps. But that doesn't mean exclude the twelve steps. It means we're starting to to use the twelve steps and um, a lot more spirituality in our work, mm. and the results have just been absolutely incredible. So, so we're starting to talk about it, and um, and uh, yeah, it's been nothing short of life changing for I mean hundreds and hundreds of, of um, people who came in and said, you know, I've tried everything before. Um, I've been to five, ten rehab centres. That's always the case. It seems. Uh, I don't know why. We always seem to deal with people who've been to five, ten centers. I'm not sure what it's like there. And say, uh, you know, help me. I, I don't know where else to turn. You know, on one side, there's a rehab. On the other side, there's a psychiatric center. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else? And uh, we're starting to pop our hand up and say, well, yes. Yes, there probably is. So, so we've created a program that is... Um, I wouldn't say it's, it's beyond the 12 steps as much as it speaks the 12 steps in a different language. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, and, you know, what we find here when we mention um, anything that's not strictly uh, word for word out of the big book, uh, you get nailed for it pretty pretty hard and pretty fast. So, um, so I think there's a lot of awareness that still needs to come before we can help people on a bigger volume. Mm. Mm. So, can I just talk about how we do things? Or? Of course, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so, so when I say twelve steps and beyond, we we don't even know what terminology. Um, we were having a meeting uh, yesterday morning. In South Africa, wellness, for example, um, health and wellness. Um, if you Google any of it, you'll you'll find a spa center, you know, where they do massages and, and, and things like that. So, so we really only have um, what we would call a drug rehab center uh, if you want some help, uh-huh. or a a hospital or a psychiatric center. Uh, I'm not sure how these terms differ in in your country, but yeah, they they two extremes. Um, mm-hmm. Two sort of people. Yeah, and people are afraid, and they say, "Well, what's in the middle?" And um, and to date, there hasn't really been anything. Um, so it's either twelve step extreme or. Or follow the psychiatric route, you know, start with the medications and so on. And and um, we had figures here, um, I think it was last February, I think it was the American Psychiatric Association, but I could be wrong, um, which said, you know, the results from, you know, after 12 months of um, care, so being in a rehab program for 90 days, and then being in an aftercare program for, for the remainder of a year and counseling and so on, that the results, the success is between five and 20%, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So, so that was February. And, uh, you know, I think the figures have just come out again. So, so we've got to take another look, but I think uh, they're pretty much the same. And we jumped up and said, you know, hold on a second, five to 20%. Um, Surely someone's going to start talking about something more that we can add rather than subtract to this um, to this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's how we've developed our center. Yeah. Mm. So um, it, it's been the most incredible ride. We've, um, we, you know, as I said, people all over the world come through. They either expect... Um, I suppose what you would find at a, uh, a registered run-of-the-mill rehab center, I'm trying to think Crossroads, one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, you come in, uh, you get your phone taken away, you learn about the steps, um, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, and we've kind of stood up and said, well, well, let's try and change that. And, um, and we've got quite a bit of publicity, some of it negative. Uh, but most of it very positive. Um, say, well, hold on, let's let's do it a different way, and um, and it's been, as I said, been working really, really well. So, bringing spirituality, um, bringing a lot of new age, we call it new age foo foo, if we want, if we like, <laughs> um, through to the, the kind of scientific structure of of, of NAAA is is. It's just been it's just been incredible. It's like um, you know, a lot of people come through the door and say, "Oh, please, I've been to those five ten reactions. Please don't mention the twelve steps to me." Uh-huh. And uh, you know, we say sure, but what we found since that February last year in our data and research, we were teaching the twelve steps anyway. We were just using a different language to do it, and um, and that just gave me. I'm a absolute lover of, of everything 12-step. Um, you know, we believe that they work. We've seen the magic of it, thank goodness. And, um, you know, we've seen people who are so averse to anything 12-step get ultimate um, benefit out of the program. And, um, you know, if we can speak their language, we've discovered uh, by changing some of the terminology even, which some people, I think, would roll over in their graves uh, about. Oh, yeah. Um, just bringing a more modern twist. Um, 
it's it's just incredible. It just breaks down the barriers, and you start speaking people's language. And um, and we've we've now got a new motto because of all of this, you know. And it's a, it's a silly one, but it's like don't stay stuck. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, people are just are out there saying, "Oh, well, there's nothing in between. I did no ways. I'm going for a, for six weeks in a psychiatric or." For 30, 60, or 90 days in a rehab, and we're saying, well, you know, do something. Um, and we've started a discourse this way. So I, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more uh, coming to the party and not getting rid of anything 12 step, but adding to it. So, mm. so I hope that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And well, Mark, I kind of want to, I kind of want to make this a little bit more conversational right now. And, um, you know, you're kind of talking about this new recovery language, and are you almost talking in lieu to, um, let's say, you know, personalized recovery method, like an individual personalized recovery, and how you're you're meeting people, and this is kind of sounds like what you're doing is you're meeting people on their terms, right? So you're not you're not forcing people to prescribe to this ideology of, all right, work the steps or die, motherfucker. You know, like it's it's kind of just like. It, it's like all right. Well, okay. you really love saying that, don't you? I do. Uh, <laughs> take take the cotton out. Take the cotton out of your uh, ears and shove it in your mouth and sit the fuck down. You know that sort of stuff, right? Um, but uh, yeah. you know, like, are you are you creating an individualized personal recovery by you know? And how are you changing that language to work with your your patients? Because I mean, I I a hundred percent. I've been on on this train for a while in believing that an individual personalized recovery can benefit more people than harm them. Because mm-hmm. um, I see too many people come into meetings and then like hear something they don't like and leave. But from what it sounds like is you're you're changing that language to be like, all right, well, you don't like that word. Let's change that word. How's that going to work for you? Is it like can you describe kind of like that process with individual patients? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've just hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is this is the big part of our work. I mean, it's always about the newcomer, yeah. you know, um, for me. And it's it's um, it's something that we don't see in practice. I mean, even in our, our town here, we have, uh, I think there's about six, seven rehabs. I mean, you know, South Africa's tiny and, and Cape Town, I'm sure you've heard of it. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, okay, it's, it's even smaller. So... Yeah, we got six rehabs within about a, I'd say about forty mile radius um, from us, and we found that the effect, um, even the meetings we have, we do have a meeting here a day, but the the old timers have actually made some of those meetings exclusive, and they've said, you know, don't come, newcomers, don't come. We want our own time, and you know, we could talk about that forever, but mm-hmm. exclusivity was the main. Thing. Um, I mean, way back when I used to have um, arguments with new clients who would come in and say, look, I'm, I'm NA, please don't mention AA to me, you know, that's, mm. that's got nothing to do with me. You know that old uh, Oh, uh, yeah. Yep, yep. You know, and it's normally a diversion tactic, a distraction anyway in the beginning, but it does get you thinking, now hold on, I mean, it's one boundary after another. Um. And then I had, you know, to a, a, a ton of people are leaving the program. Uh, they go home. They might have come to the program as codependents. They might have come, uh, you know, emotions anonymous, eating disorders, whatever it might be. And they attend NA meetings. And we actually just had a case, which, which I think you might find interesting, where someone received, um, you know, the year chip. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, I think NA, yeah. And, you know, they were absolutely devastated. Apparently they did. Now, I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just saying it gets complicated. Um, she received a, tr- uh, a chip and then six six or seven months ago, she did have a drink on a ship, uh, a cruise ship, and drinking is not her thing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. She was challenged by this and... and she said, you know, if at the end of the day, I'm happy to give the chip back, but if they kick me out of the meetings, I, I think I'm going to die. You know, and I thought, my gosh, you know, what, something, I mean, this is big conversation. 
So, you know, whatever's right or wrong, we're just on the side of inclusivity. Like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. You you brought up a good point, and that's and that's something that we kind of, you know, both David and I have seen in a meeting we we were both a part of, where yeah. you know it wasn't the person. You know, I mean. I, at this point, we've we've broken kind of our fellowship bond where, you know, we were both uh, N.A. people. And, like, I went to an N.A. meeting last night. Um, I've been oh, to AA. did you? I did. Good I've for been, you. I've been to AA. I've been to, like, a few other fellowships. So, like, I don't really care, but my foundation's in N.A. And, you know, one of the issues that we see is kind of what you just described is where someone might come to N.A. because they, they feel more in tune with kind of the message. Um and I mean, if you read the literature, the message is a little convoluted when, you, when you're talking about kind of, it's about addiction, but a lot of people put addiction as drugs. Yes. Um, and you have to look at that separation because sometimes it's like, all right, if someone comes here because they're a sex addict and they can just relate to the message, yeah. like who cares that they have a drink? Like, are are they not like acting out on sexual behavior yeah. that's detrimental to their well being? Yeah, maybe they feel uncomfortable in a room full of other sex addicts. Yeah, and like cutters, you know, mm-hmm. we've talked about cutters and self harm. Like people who come to the meetings for that, it's like, well, your problem with self harm. Like, if you have a drink once in a while and that doesn't affect your well being, like, why should I care? Like, all I care about is like, are you getting better with the issue at hand? And I, and I understand we got to respect what the fellowships. You know, like, if I'm in an NA meeting, I'm going to call myself an addict. If I'm in an IA meeting, I'm going to call myself an alcoholic. But, you know, how... And this is kind of something, you know, where you're talking about this, like, this new type of recovery language is kind of... How do you feel that we break beyond, you know, this kind of singular approach to the idea of recovery, of recovery and kind of create almost... You know, something I've been playing around with for a while was more of a Unitarian um, ideology of bringing in different ideas and concepts from different fellowships and and being less exclusive on like, oh, you you didn't shoot heroin? I'm sorry, you you can't come, you know? Yeah, this is heroin anonymous. You did cocaine. That's different. Yes. Yes. You know, you just mentioned there, I mean, you, you, with a minute we mention an individual, it just takes me back to what everyone was talking about with, uh, you know, Johan Hari about five years ago, you know, mm-hmm. the the cure is connection. Yeah. And um, mm. we just keep putting up walls. I mean, we've done it all through history. It's not just the program. It's not just since 1930. Mm-hmm. But we keep. It and we, we, we do it and we do it um, to the detriment of that newcomer mm-hmm. and um, you know I mean everybody talks about uh, the churches and the churches are changing and apparently what is it six people are leaving for every one that, that uh, join the church these days yeah. and uh, I just hope that that doesn't start happening to this program yeah I agree um, you know and like uh, to like what Eric was talking about, I think one of the, like the biggest um, overlooked quotes of the the twelve step fellowships, and and like it says this in their literature is, uh, "What is your problem, and how can we help?" That's something that's overlooked a lot because just like he was saying, people it's it's multi it's multi faceted. Um, Recovery, just as it is multifaceted addiction. Like, not everybody that comes through the doors has the same problems with the same things. And and just like you said, breaking down those barriers and being able to um, get more of a cohesive idea of recovery. Like, I, that's why I just love the word recovery so much because it's not secular in its um, mode of transportation for that person, you know? Like, it, recovery is recovery. And, it, like, I, I, me personally, I, I've gotten to a place in my recovery that me, a person of NA fellowship and another person of smart recovery fellowship, like, we are, we are equals, we're peers, and we're both achieving the same goal of ultimate recovery, 
just in different ways. And that, I, I think that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And, um, you know, I, I sit in, uh, you know, as a, they, they call me normies. The clients, they call me a normie. So mm-hmm. I don't know what, what else I'm supposed to uh, I've, you know, I've, and thankfully, I mean, it's one of the, the great gifts of my life is uh, I've done, you know, 15, 20,000 hours of, of group therapy with, uh, with clients, you know. So it's, you get to see, I think, um, at the end of it, that we're more addicted to our thinking than our drinking. Mm-hmm. And um, the similarities at the end are just incredible. I mean, a, a guy said to me uh, this week, you know, he said to me, he's been, um, again, in, in the program for, I don't know, 20 years, and, and not successfully, not that successfully, but, you know, he keeps coming back, and that's all it comes. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, you know, if I wasn't here for my for my addictions, uh, we've got a mixed group of people. He said, if I wasn't here for my addictions, I'd be here for for depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And and the can, I mean, people said to me, how are you going to have meetings? And we do do this. How are you going to have meetings with uh, an NA style meeting with people who are suffering from depression? Um, I think it's always been this way. Uh, I think it's just the language again. Mm-hmm. And it, it absolutely works. You you can have you can have high quality meetings with with people suffering a host of different things, whether you know codependency, whatever it's going to be. Um, but for goodness' sake, let them come to the meeting and um, and connect. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so yeah. I got a question for you. Um, and. You, you sort of touched on it a little bit, um, like before we, we we started the podcast. Both of us were talking, and like you just said, like you're a you're a normie. I think Eric and I both like to call them muggles. Muggles, as as, as yeah, definitely muggles. As per Harry Potter, um, non magic folk, which is okay, which is okay. That's not, that's fine. We're in this together. Um, no, but my question is, how do we change? that stigma around addicts and addiction like I, I and how have you seen it changed from oh drop my phone have how have you seen it change from 1997 1998 till now like how is that like 22 year evolution what what barriers have you seen get broken down and what barriers can we can we target and uh really kind of eliminate those and create a harmony in in society where we're not we're not criminals we're not um immoral uh people we're we're people with a, a problem with an with an affliction a disease an illness whatever you want to call it and we we mm-hmm. want help and we need help yeah i mean you know i think going backwards why not let's and think out the box, but I think it was 2013 when the I think we changed to the DSM-5. That's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, mm-hmm. uh, psychiatry, and then we started calling it a brain disease. And I, I think that was that was a big one for stigma. Um, you know, we saw a lot of people just taking a breath and going, "Oh my gosh, thank goodness." Um, you know, they, they found some kind of order in the diagnosis. I mean, I know a lot of people are against that, and it doesn't matter. Um, but but that's really where I started to see lots of big changes. And before that time, I mean, even this podcast that you guys do with this incredible work is that people. Um, it was it was very very formal. It was. You had to watch every word uh, that you uttered in the groups, and um, there was always some old timer, uh, you know, correcting, throwing out the slogans, and so quick to, you know, I, I suppose we would call it being judgmental, um, sitting there and waiting for people to make mistakes, you know, and say, well, you know, am I an addict? And then jump all over them. I mean, people do get attacked, I and mean, we all know that, and. Um, and they don't come back, and that's my only concern: is is you've got to be challenged and so on, but but come back. So, so I think the main thing is to to be able to say to people, all welcome. I mean, is that too simple? 
Mm. And if, if we can do that, and I think how we've done that today is, uh, I, I see it emerging in some right and some wrong ways, but, you know, you'll see um, a ton of, of Facebook pages and, and podcasts, whatever, speaking about trying to control your drinking. Uh, 30-day drinking challenges. That's how I see it changing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they get abused for, for good reasons sometimes, but um, we're we ironing it out together and they still exist and they still have a following and I don't think we would have seen that uh, 20 years ago. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've seen that kind of on um, on IG a little bit uh, and Twitter, where you, where you kind of have the you know the you know your dry Januarys or your your three sixty five hashtag uh, no drink November. Yeah, all that. But I, I do think <laughs> I, I do think that's a that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, like I think I'm following an Instagram account right now that's uh, you know no drinking for three hundred and sixty five days, and I've actually met some people who are just like. You know, I, I wanted to give up drinking for a month to see if I could do it. And then, like, they end up being in recovery. Yeah. You know, because they're like, well, my life got better. And I, you know, like, it's kind of like a different type of awareness. Um, but I guess one thing I did want to... It's trending recovery. <clears throat> hey, man, whatever trends, I'm, I'm cool with it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but what, uh, oh, you said something... Except for the Kardashians. Um, Man... Damn it. You said something during that that I, I thought was very, um, oh, about the statistics, right? So <clears throat> you were mentioning statistics before, right? And and how many people kind of enter a room, right? Like who enter recovery and, you know, what the success rate is. And something I bring up to people, um, and I, I, you know, I'll do this with people in AA and NA, um, about challenging ourselves to to get better because – you know, a lot of people will be like, well, the program isn't broken. And my challenge to that is that every time someone leaves the room, that's an opportunity for us to get better. So what what do you think, like, the fellowships can do as a whole to improve, like, upon our methodologies so that, I mean, and maybe this is just an issue in general with just, you know kind of like the way people are but I don't know I, I the way I look at it is every time someone leaves the room because of something they heard is an opportunity for us to get better because we, we really shouldn't be like the success rate should not be the same as like what you know an email click rate is like in marketing so like an email click rate is between like 7 and 15% that shouldn't be the success rate of a fellowship yeah. You know, and like that's, you know, I, I would like to see that number at least closer to like 25, you yeah. know, like, yeah, I don't know if we're, if we're in the teens. I'm like, fuck, man, what are we doing wrong? Yeah. So, I mean, like, what do you what do you think, Mark, from like uh, from a clinical approach? Like, how, how do you feel we can like get those numbers up? Well, I mean, you know, it's um I always go back to this church example, you know, why is everyone walking out and, um, and so quickly? And, and it's, it's, again, it's not only, you know, I think we've got to say, well, well is it working? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from my side, it's, it's a profound yes. I mean, I don't think there's, you know, no offense, but nothing better has come out of America than this, this program. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just That's incredible. fair. Um, <laughs> with... <laughs> It's, it's, it's hit the world and it's hit it hard. And, um, and if we go back to, to keeping it simple is always the way, you know, it gets so complicated. And even the word fellowship, like automatically it, it just says, well, who's that? Um, how do I get in? Where's the membership? What do I need to do? Mm. And um, we just got to tell people we'll show up. Um, you know, this is an open meeting, not a closed. So people, people are frightened. And, you know, they already, um, if they have become addicted to their thinking, we know they're overthinking, we know they probably, prob- in all probability, suffer from, you know, some kind of anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps depression, and, and so on. So already they're not going to be, you know, thriving, extroverted um, people ready to jump into to something unknown. So, you know, I think the first level is to try and find some certainty um, and, and 
it's not certain. What do you expect at a meeting? Am I, I going to be checked out? Am I going to be welcomed? There's that scary man in the back, you know, and, and people always tell me, you know, I don't want to go back. There he was. He was, he was bellicose. He was loud. It sounded like, uh, you know, I wasn't included. So, hmm. so somehow we've got to just make that fellowship expand. I think people are trying on the periphery, um, you know, with the no, no drinking for 30 days. And, you know, these are little fellowships. And we've seen a huge emergence of, of non-alcoholic uh, product um, in our country. I imagine it's fairly uh, it's booming on your side as well. Yeah, there's uh, um, a lot a lot of, uh, you know, non-alcoholic drinks are starting to make a real surge, which, mm-hmm. is, which is good. I, I yeah. think that's, that's uh, you yeah, know, and not soda. Or like you know, soft drinks, but like you know, like non-alcoholic beer yeah. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you go back to to the twenty-two years ago when I began. You you couldn't sit in a group and say, "Look, uh, you can have a, a non-alcoholic uh, beer, for example, on a Friday night. You'd be you'd be out. Yeah, There's no question about it." So. I'm not saying if it's good or bad. I mean, it's probably, uh, you know, person-dependent, and it, it definitely has major, major disadvantages. But if someone chooses to include that in their recovery process, um, you know, we can we can still give them positive regard. Yeah. Um, and, and include them and say, well, you know, good luck, it's dangerous, but, uh, you know, give it a bash. It hasn't worked for all these people. And um, do, do they get their chip? <laughs> you know? Yeah, a lot of people would say no. So I think I think in, in closing that question, we've just got to stop being so confused. Mm. Um, we've got to talk it through. Obviously, the book needs, um, and it does get revised again and again and again. But but everything on the periphery um, needs to be updated as well and say well. Let's not be so damn fearful to talk about controlled drinking um, and all of these horrible, nasty things that we would never have dared to mention ten years ago. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. And that way we include everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, I I got a question. Um, so, um, you've dealt with um many different forms of addiction throughout your, uh, throughout your career, like, uh, sex addiction, gambling, uh, drugs, alcohol. Um, so I, I'm kind of wondering, have you found any common threads between all those different manifestations of addiction and what can we learn as addicts um, cause like Eric and I are, are substance addicts. So what, what do you think we can learn from sex addicts or food addicts or, uh, gambling addicts? Uh, what are those, those commonalities that, that'll bring us together under, a a, a more, um, forward thinking recovery for all of us? Yeah, yeah. Instead of a more inclusive umbrella, mm-hmm. to, I mean, we don't even have the terminology for this stuff yet. But yeah, what a great question. You know, the biggest, biggest one is obsessive thinking, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Yeah. I remember long ago, a, a great addictions counselor once said to me, "You know, look at the common threads. If you overthink anything, it becomes negative." Mm. If you overthink anything, it becomes negative. And that's a scientific fact. And it's just the way our brains are are, are wired. I mean, you can look at the Joe Dispenza, whoever, all these sort of uh, top 10 authors at the moment. And it's all about your plastic brain, rewiring your brain, blah, blah, blah. Uh So I think the common thread is obsessive thinking, you know. What is it, the most seven um, powerful words I think that have ever been strung, to get strung together is, you know, as you think, so shall you be. Mm. And I often say to people, I say, okay, well, I'm here. I've come, I've traveled across, you know, a couple of continents. I'm here. What must I do? And I say, stop. And they kind of look at me as if I'm absolutely nuts. And, um, and it's 
so much harder than you think. You know, I can say stop smoking, stop drinking, stop whatever. But first, stop thinking. Um, your kidneys are working, your liver's okay. Mm-hmm. Damage, savage, it is. But you know, yeah. everything, the stomach's to be fine. The physical health comes back in a week or two and they start walking up. But the obsessive thinking is the real, real tough nut to crack and it goes right across all the addictions and I'm tending to see it in anxiety and depression as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a common thread and it's something we can sit and talk about in a group of 10 addicts and 10 normies. You know, it's, um, it's just incredible and you've got to develop an awareness that it's even happening. Mm. I, think, I think when people come in, the, the biggest hurdles we deal with are defense mechanisms and it's always the same too. It's always denial you know, it's not so bad, it's this, it's only because of this or that, and then blaming. Mm. So I would say 99% of the time a person comes in and it's always someone else's fault. Uh, it's the parents. I mean, you, I'm sure you've sat in enough meetings and groups to know this as well. It's always, you know, someone else's fault and you can't, you can't solve the problem internally. So you overflow and it gushes out there in a, bloody torrential flood and causes absolute havoc until you, until you recover. So the obsessional thinking will always, you know, hit off that. If you're an alcoholic, you would, um, you might take a, a shot of whiskey after, after 10 years or nothing, and it will automatically in three seconds set off that obsessional thinking, which is the enemy. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to... The mind is broken. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in, in 2013, just the last point, in 2013, when they said it's a brain disease, I really, really think that's what they meant in, uh, in, in normal language. You know, it's, it's you, you keep looking for an answer to unsolvable problems. And when I say unsolvable, I mean, what do we call it? A spiritual solution? Mm-hmm. People say, yeah, thanks a lot for that. You know, what, what the hell are you offering a spiritual solution? What do yeah. you mean? Where's the 20 step? Yeah. And um, one thing I like that you you brought up that I, I want to touch on and get your um, <clears throat> opinion and experience on. Um, you, you talked about really a, a lot about the mind, and especially like like we love that quote. Um, we're just as much addicted to our thinking as our drinking. Like that's that's an amazing quote. Um, so, what benefits have you seen from? Um, the addition of meditation into people's recovery. Like how important is that to sort of harness our own power inside of our mind? And like when it comes to that word spiritual, I really take that as an internal spirituality, not, not seeking an outside entity to, uh, solve all of our prayers, but more of an inward look and, and how I can use my breathing and my body and my brain to um, channel m- my own like power, you know? And how, how important is that in recovery to be able to quiet the mind and, and then really open up from there? Yeah, I think we can just, you know, the more and more I do this, I, I just think we can do nothing sustainable um, in terms of maintenance for long-term recovery. We can do nothing sustainable without mastering that mind. So, mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely. Spiritual spiritual to me, I'm a, I'm a religious guy. I love every religion in the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as a Christian, I'm continuously apologizing to everyone saying, you know, we've killed more people anyone else you know I'm so sorry mm-hmm. but, but don't throw up either but but spiritual is 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 really what we're saying by stop you know it's it's stopping that that 70,000 thoughts a day mm. um, sort of rat wheel that we're on and, and it just it obviously is going to go into the body I mean it's obviously you know you, you think about the future you're going to get anxious mm-hmm. you think about the past you know too much you're going to get depressed and of course, as we said, you overthink it and you, you, you're going to be negative. So I tend to find with addiction, people are, are, are so far into action. Um, you know, they say the three A's, awareness, 
first, then acceptance, uh, and then new action. I mm. think they're so much into action. They are so desperate, um, having tried everything, having thought every bloody thing. They're so desperate for an answer. And, and then you go and you say to them, uh, we'll stop taking action. Um, let's focus on, on looking inward. And they, as I said, they literally think you're completely nuts. And the mindfulness, the silent retreats, the yoga, the, uh, we do contemplation, you know, all, all things to do with connection. It, it, there's no doubt. It, um, it's difficult for people to get into, but it gets them onto that first of those three A's, which is self-awareness. You know, I am, I am okay. I am powerless. In other words, actionless to stop my thinking and my drinking. Um, and the minute they get to that spot, I find we can start working and we can bring in everything else from there and we can add to it. But before, before, when that mind is going off, you're hitting limbic system, defense mechanisms, blame and shame. And, uh, and you just get nowhere until, until you can literally slow down. I mean, if it was a vibration or a neurochemical, you just have to slow it down uh, and find space. It's, 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 you know, to, to shove something new, something different in there. Uh-huh. And, and it's harder than you think to get done. Hmm. All right, Aaron. Cool. Uh, so this will be my last question. Um, so I was kind of like fishing around on your uh, website and your Twitter um, before we jumped on here. And you, you kind of like were just talking about this, but, you know, what... How can you kind of explain how you blend um, both the spiritual and scientific principles, um, you know, of, you know, of, uh, let's say, like a clinical way with a spiritual way into a therapy practice? Because, I mean, I guess this is the ideology of like a fellowship. Like we don't always go into like the psychology, but, you know, it does. I mean, it does have like psychological um you know, principles behind it, uh, even though if they're masked in kind of a fellowship uh, language. But how do you blend those two in a clinical sense to uh, perform therapy for your patients? Well, I mean, you know, I think the science is, is the psychology, sure, uh, the mm-hmm. human science, and it's, it's the steps. I mean, we had, um, you know, Bill and, and uh, Carl Jung. Carl Jung's got to be, you know, my, one of my favorite teachers. And I mean, they called this entire thing, this entire thing, and, and we're calling it recovery probably around about now, is ego deflation at death. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we would take a Freud and we would just make that sentence longer and say it's ego defense mechanisms mm-hmm. uh, that we get that we're getting rid of at, at depth. So you've got to go out there into the world and, um, and put them up. You know, every teenager is, is busy putting them up right now. We are all, I think our first addiction is code, uh, codependence mm. uh, on parents. I, we didn't stand a, a damn chance. Uh, um, it had to happen. And there's not one of us out there that has not split at least... Um, our personality into, you know, an exterior and an interior, a smiley, happy exterior with maybe a, a dismal, gloomy interior. By the time we get to, you know, 20, 30 years old, we, we just can't hide it anymore. And we, um, we try and medicate it for argument's sake with sex or gambling or whatever it's going to be. So, so the science is definitely those steps. I mean, the way they've put these things together, I've seen the magic of it. And, it took me a decade or more to realize uh, that something that strange was going on with these steps because, you know, I started to see it everywhere. Um, there's very few religions that I haven't studied and, um, and psychology is just, you know, it's something that you do at night and on weekends. I'm unfortunately one of those people who don't stop. It's just such a, a subject. And you start to see the language of those steps uh, everywhere. You know, even in something like, um, you know, work on your thoughts, feelings, and actions and, and change your life. Hmm. So if you've got defense mechanisms up, I think you've, you've squashed down your feelings. 
Um, and that's where the need, that's part B of all of this, that's where the need for spirituality comes in. It, it's not something that you, that you can really understand. I mean, as I said, what do they call it? A, a new consciousness? What are they calling it? Enlightenment? Uh, we call it a spiritual uh, experience in step 12. Uh-huh. It, it's, there's so many names for the same, same thing. Becoming aware, um, accepting life on life's terms. You know, um, I continuously say the truth will set you free. I've never you know, seen anything more powerful than that. It's just reality is always kind. And I think that's, that's the thing that people lose. Uh, they see chaos in the world and, and, and get lost in it. I mean, a good example of it is the 27 Club. You know, the, what was it, the Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kurt Cobain, uh, uh, Jim Morrison. Brian Jones. Jones. And, uh, who? Brian Jones? <laughs> what do you mean, who? Brian Jones? Of the Beach Boys? Of the Rolling Stones? Oh, I didn't know he died. Oh, we have to have a conversation about this after the pod. My God. <sighs> I don't think that's but, right. But Brian Jones, that. not Brian Wilson. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. So, well, that club, anyway, uh-huh. it just showed, uh, and I've seen it a ton of times, that people do believe there's no corner to turn. You know, they just see the unmanageability and the chaos and um, out in the world and they say, well, there's nothing more. Let me, let me end it or uh, yeah. drink myself to death or whatever it's going to be. And, and the spiritual side, part B, is after that science and the chaos and all that, there's a lot more, you know. Um, introspection brings with it, a, you know, it brings freedom from fear and probably everything else. So, we are fighting people's minds with those defense mechanisms when they come in and they are, they are blocked. And by the end of it, I think it is a spiritual experience, believer, atheist or not. Um, reality is always kinder than the stories we tell ourselves about it. And that awareness, um, will breed acceptance of what is, because what what is out there is actually not bad. You know, we're, we're okay. It's not, the world's okay. And from that standpoint, you create new action. That seems to be the mathematical equation of things. All right. Um, hmm. How many, how many questions am I allowed to have, Eric? You only get one. I get one. Okay. Yeah. Then we're going to the Twitter. That's fine. What was that? Then Twitter. To to the Twitter? Yeah. Okay. To the Twitter. Okay. Um, all right. You talked about having um, various patients from all around the world, and uh, so the UK, uh, other parts of Europe, and the United States. Do you see any um, like cultural differences within their addiction? Like, are uh, I don't know. In my mind, I'm like, are Americans like more? selfish and egotistical like I, I I don't know like you, you're the one like with the experience of all these worldly people so are there uh, cultural differences from around the world as they pertain to addiction mm. yeah it's you know finally enough we don't really see it um, Americans might be louder yeah and appear more extra than most <laughs> <laughs> but you know, just underneath, I mean, those are, those are silly little things. You know, yeah. Socialization and cooperation. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. We don't see a difference. There's such a commonality. And, and uh, you know, even people who can't, I mentioned the, the Dutch and so on, who can't speak English, and they have a very sort of first world kind of strict, upright culture. And even they are able to get into the swing of, of what I call spiritual food food kind of, you know, show me the evidence I can't mm-hmm. um, kind of work. So, no, we, the personality type of the people that come in, um, it definitely, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a commonality in that, that's for sure. They're all in the fight, flight, freeze kind of arrogant, egotistical, um, 
don't tell me I already know kind of uh, mindset. Mm -hmm. And and that seems to spread across the world. So I just think it's absolute fear. And um, Mm. the minute we can get, you know, what Tony Robbins would call certainty, the first um, of the six basic human needs, if we we can get certainty to to an addict, no matter what language we speak in, you know, Abraham Maslow would have called it safety. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing that I'm at least safe, I've got a bed, I've got two meals, which is what you really need for recovery, isn't it? Mm. And um, if we can get them to that spot, we find in, in a, just a couple of days, it doesn't matter where you're from in the world, um, how many senses you, you've been, you know, how wealthy you are, it's just incredible. Everybody comes and says, well, we're the same. And from that, that connection idea of um, being responsible for arresting or treating addictions does seem to make sense. You know, it's, uh-huh. um, we put them in and say you matter and you count and, and you're worthwhile. And it's, it's almost too simple. And, and our journey begins and they move from the back of their brain uh, to the prefrontal in front. And um, the back would be the scientific uh, monkey mind or our, million-year-old brain that they're calling it now. Yep. And the front, front of our brain would be the spiritual side for me, you know, creativity, creating something new. I'm not addicted to my thinking anymore. I'm, I'm going to get up on the other side of the bed and I'm going to do 10 different things that, that perhaps might work. Um, is, is spirituality to me. It's in the front. And uh, switch from back to front and you're in recovery. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's almost too simple to teach. Uh, like the 12 steps. Yeah. Mm. It's simple. Um, yeah. And it works. That reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Are, are we there, Eric? Go ahead, David. To the Twitter! That's better. All right. So. I eliminated the trumpets yeah. this time. No trumpeting. Um, I got <laughs> lines drawn. I get it. So I feel like for, for where I am right now and, and having, you know, uh, Mark um, as our guest, this is a good question. Uh, so this is from Major. Or at Major Dog Five Two Four, and cool. it is how active, how is active addiction? How does active addiction make bipolar and bipolar two so difficult to diagnose? And how proper diagnosis and treatment can aid greatly in preventing relapse. So, uh, Mark, the way this will work is you'll go first, and then David and I will go after, and it's kind of a round robin. So, um, go ahead. Okay, so I mean, uh, for me, um, I think you always deal with the addiction first. Mm-hmm. I like to separate. So people come in, and we've had people come in with files as thick as you know ten phone books. Uh, you always deal um, with the addiction first, and and you arrest that. You get it out of the way. So a lot of our psychiatrists and and sort of well-established psychologists here won't diagnose, they won't touch anything in terms of putting people into diagnostic boxes until they've had at least 30 days uh, of sobriety. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, Because they're coming in and we know if you're there for for addiction treatment, you're unmanageable. So they're coming in and, and it looks like they fit and tick so many different boxes. So... We just like to stay, stand back from it and, um, and, and first treat the addiction and then look at it, so keep it separate is, is what we do. And then we'll use the DSM and, um, and go from there. Hmm. That seems pretty logical. Um, from an addict um, who's definitely spent a couple stints in um, mental health facilities, I know from my experience that the amount of chemicals I was putting into my body on an extremely regular basis, uppers, downers, like hallucinogens, like tranquilizers, like what have you, like whatever it was, those things were all mixing in my system and causing great highs and lows and complete mix-ups of my normal brain chemistry. So for, I mean, years upon years, my brain was not functioning properly. So I can see 
how it was incredibly difficult for doctors I saw along the way of my active addiction, how difficult it could have been for them to get an accurate read on what I was at the time. And like on on top of that, you uh, add in my honesty or lack of honesty at the time, like what I was willing to tell them, what I wasn't willing to tell them. Um, and, and it, 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 it can be tremendously hard for addictions counselors and mental health counselors to know where their patients are at because honestly, because in all honesty, they don't know what chemicals they have inside them. You don't know like what what uh, mood stabilizers or illicit drugs they have inside them. So all those things can have a great effect on our behavior, our personality, our thinking, our actions. Um, so I, I can see how a lot of people could get diagnosed or misdiagnosed in the process of addiction. Um, but obviously, I'm I'm not a doctor. I am not a scientist. I'm an amateur scientist, but that that's very amateur at best. Um, and that that's just my opinion and my experience. And the longer I've stayed clean and let my body get back to homeostasis and then work from a clean slate, my my mental health has just continued to to grow and get better. So I I don't I don't talk about my diagnoses as much as I probably should. Diagnoses? Diagnoses. Yeah, diagnoses. I don't talk I, yeah, I don't talk about my mental health probably as much as I should on this podcast. Um, thanks for sharing. So, I I am bipolar too. Um, and I've I've you know, I was diagnosed uh, before addiction, I was diagnosed during addiction, I was diagnosed after addiction. So I, I don't really have the excuse of being like, oh, it was the drugs. Yeah. Uh, so I don't get that. Um, so I, I, the reason I wanted to talk about this question is I just got back on meds. Um, and I've, I've been off meds for a long time. And um, I... I did relapse after I got off meds. It took a little while, but I did relapse. And I never really thought about the correlation between me getting off meds and relapsing. I thought more about external circumstances and maybe it was, maybe it was more of an external circumstance than the, you know, the fact that I decided to get off medication. Six in one hand, half dozen in the other. Um, but you know, I do understand that being on a lot of different, like adjusting your brain chemistry does make it difficult to diagnose a mental disorder. Uh, Cause you know, it's, you're not going to be. Someone on PCP could get diagnosed oh, with yeah, lots of lots shit. Lots of things. And um, yeah, I, I think it's important to, to get that baseline before making an assumption on someone's mental health. Um, because I don't know, there's, there's certain tendencies where, if I'm on a cocaine, if I'm on a cocaine binge, I'm a different human being. Oh yeah, I'm off the than, fucking wall. Than if I'm normal, right? So, um, God, the paranoia. Well, just me, like I'm, a, I'm a. There's no drug like cocaine and, and amphetamines that changes me like to such an extent as so glad every other drug. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a dreadful, I'm a dreadful human being. I'm sure. Um, so. You know, I, I think, I think bipolar, like, you know, and even I have friends who are bipolar one and, you know, that's fucking awful. I'm grateful as, as crazy as that might sound. I am, I have so much gratitude to be bipolar too. Um, I have no desire, like, I'm so grateful that I'm not bipolar one. Um, but you know, it, it is like, I think it is important to, to, you know, treat it. So, because relapse, I can convince myself of different things if I'm not, you know, making sure that I keep that in check. And, you know, I, I was looking at my symptoms and I, I saw that my symptoms changed, but I changed my thinking to adjust to the symptoms. Um, 
So, I don't know. I, I think... What? So, I was looking at my hypermania as, as different, you know, and, like, I was looking at my depressive states. Like, it, they changed. They yeah. weren't they weren't as dark as where you are right now, David. You know, I'm uh, fine. You, they, <laughs> I'm fine. They, they this is fine. They had changed my <laughs> my base level changed right. So, and I didn't realize that until I got back on my meds. You know, like oh, is it okay to be melancholy all the time? Is that where my baseline should be? Should I be like oh, you know my 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 baseline is a Smashing Pumpkins album? Like oh, is that okay? No, yeah. probably not. I probably want to be somewhere on the Katy Perry spectrum, you know? That might be too high. Uh, That's not healthy either. But I'm just saying, like, to accept my life as a melancholy existence is probably not, you know, a good a good gauge of, like, happiness, you know? like, And, and no, I was yeah, kind yeah. of like, oh, I'm happy because I'm not, like, you know, I don't want to die. I kind of like that gauge, the music gauge. Yeah. Right now I'm I in just, a, right I just now, made I'm, that up. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Right now I'm in a red hot chili peppers mood. Okay. okay. So you so you're a little funky. I'm a little funky. Okay. Little there dark. Little dark. Little, little up, dark. little down. You know, a little bit of everything. Okay. Well that that's just my opinion. Uh, I know I kind of like uh, the, you know, I kinda of danced around some of the question, but I felt it was poignant for where I am right now. Um because especially with bipolar, we like, you know, the diagnosis is important, but then also being yeah, I, I know this is more of a thing for, for bipolar uh, type 1 where you can convince yourself, but I, I did it for bipolar type 2 where you convince yourself to get off the meds because you're okay. Um, and then it's hard to remember, like, you're not okay. Because, like, I can forget that. I yeah. can forget and, that. Like, you know, it's hard. Yeah. Go ahead, Mark. And that's where the fellowship comes in. I mean, we need each other here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, we need each other. We're confused, afraid. And I mean, just what you've described there, it scares people to death. And I mean, some people even to the point of suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, oh, what the hell is wrong with me? Bipolar one, death sentence. What, I mean, my life's over. And they don't talk about it. And of course, you know, that shadows up and uh, causes a whole bunch of new issues and it gets worse. But can I just can I just add there that, I mean, is any of this um, curable? Mm. Is the anxiety cure? I wish that would be great. <laughs> Good question. Yeah. Mm. And you know, obviously, we're saying, well, you know, <clears throat> is addiction curable? Mm. Um, and we know the right answers, and you know, it's, it's that that's a, obviously a podcast in itself. Yes. Oh but, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> you're getting people like influential people like Sadhguru uh, from from India and so on, mm-hmm. and and they're coming on and saying. Of course it's curable, you yeah. know, and I, I'm not saying whichever way is right, but I'm saying <clears throat> let's throw the spanner in the works and ask the right questions. Mm. <clears throat> and even if you look at recovery, we're speaking about those chemicals that, that you guys listed off there. I mean, if you've been using them while you were growing up, you know, as a teen, and, uh, you know, you probably haven't developed your emotional intelligence. Yes. You know, at the very least in the- and, and that catches up um, like a hurricane in, in the right treatment process, you know. <clears throat> you go out there and, and someone comes back to you, a doctor comes to you and says, well, uh, you know, you're 30, but your emotional intelligence is out of a, a 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. You can catch up. And, and, and I call that healing. Some people would call it a miracle. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and when people catch up emotionally like that, they their diagnoses get reversed. Uh, ADD, uh, bipolars, all of it. So it's a very, very big, big um, subject. But as far as anything firm, no ways. It's, it's open field. And this is where the Joe Dispenza and all these people are, are getting their books sold by, by the hundreds of millions here. Because the brain is very, very treatable. You know, it's plastic, pliable, that chemistry. We know it can chop and change. And they would have been calling this um, miracles uh, about 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. I think we're calling, we're calling it addiction today. Um, what would have we been calling it about two, 300 years ago? We would have been calling it, you know, you're neurotic. Yeah. Mm. Hysteria, Probably. mania, like... 
That's it. Pos- so, possession. So can we go with the land? Possession by the devil. Yeah. Possession by the devil was about about two five thousand years ago. Yeah. What a good point. And I, can you imagine what it feels like if you believe you're possessed by the devil? Oh. Um, no wonder there's a twenty-seven. <laughs> yeah. And it's it, to show people that hold on, there is a corner to turn um, through any of this. You know, is it curable? Must remain a question. We, we don't possibly have answers yet. No. But damn well, you know, all things are possible, baby. And and I've been lucky enough to see it. So, so there is no, there is no one size fits all. That whole DSM is as plastic as your brain is. It um, it serves as a guideline, but but all things are possible. And if, if you want it and you work it, you're going to get it. Hmm. Love it. All right, Mark. Well. I think that's all we have for you today. So we'd like to thank you for joining us. Yay! Yay! And uh, Mark, um, we'll give you a few minutes if you want to, uh, you know, tell us where our guests can find your um, website and any other, you know, information about your work. Well, thank you very much. I mean, uh, we have uh, a website, uh, www marklockwood.com and the links to all our stuff is there so um, we run a center called the center for healing and life transformation down here in uh, South Africa and we invite people from all over the world to come um, whether it's addictions depression whatever it's going to be to come and you know scientifically and spiritually um, wake up um, awaken whatever the word is and um, you know we've been doing it since at the center since 2012 and um, you know the all are welcome fellowship philosophy is is there you speak any language whether it's 12 step or other and um, and we can accommodate it and hopefully spread the word that others can accommodate it as well so thank you thank you very very much awesome absolutely All right. Here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. Uh, Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Check out our website, podcastrecovery.com. Like, share, subscribe, invite your friends. Come join us on the pod. But most importantly, everybody out there, stay safe and stay clean.